turning the microphone on. There's a storm going on, or it's just really windy. I wouldn't call it a storm. I'm recording in the garage, trying this out right now. And I have this book that I've wanted to do for a while. So it's called Feel Good Productivity by Ali Abdal. So I thought I would just do some, just a regular podcast episode. I started to record, I, I did get a Vision Pro. I was going to like screen record and then edit that down. I always come to this conclusion and then I stray away from it that I should just start with an audio-only podcast. And then from there, I can re-record something for video. I do actually believe that I could do a podcast each week if it was audio-only. Then I start to complicate it. I, I convince myself that I need to do more than that, that it should be a video. I tell myself it's going to be pretty easy to take the podcast and then just add some A-roll to it. Then I'll have video. That should be easy. Then I do that. Then I think I need to edit it. And then that takes forever. Then I overthink it. I start thinking, oh no, if I post this to the channel, then it's not a good video. I start to feel bad about that. And then I don't even do the audio podcast. So that might be what I need to do. 2024, (laughs) one audio podcast each week. Let's see what I can do. Of course, the idea would then becomes, okay, what can I do each week? Then it becomes, oh, I should do a book a week. I can read a book a week, but it's pretty easy to not do that. I've kept that pace up before of trying to read a book a week, but to put the pressure on to make sure I read it and I'm also taking notes on it to record a podcast, it's just really easy to fall behind. So I'm going to try to figure this out. Maybe some weeks if I don't finish the book, I can still do notes on it. This one will be about feel-good productivity, which I actually read in December. So it's more of a review of that rather than something like fresh for me. It's better to record the content immediately after reading the book or while reading it because it's still fresh in my head. I think that's another thing just about retention, different methods for reading that, yeah, your retention can be high if you take like a ton of different notes. But also if my goal is to create a podcast, a summarizing my takeaways from a book, summarizing parts of the book, sharing that with others. It's probably better to just record while it's fresh in my head, even if it's as I'm going along and reading it. On the other hand, if it's more about really like me solidifying it for the future and, I don't know, putting it in my long-term memory, then yeah, there's probably something to the name of this podcast, Active Recall. I like how it sounds, but maybe not the best name in hindsight because it's more like a studying technique. So in that sense, yeah, maybe recapping it six weeks later is a good idea because then, I don't know, it'll put it back in my head. That said, if I just did the recap immediately after, I could just re-listen to my own summary of it, that would actually be better. So I'm going to convince myself that sort of speed reading over the course of a week, taking some notes, doing the podcast immediately after reading, that might be actually best method because it gives me my own summary to review later. Just turn it on, re-listen to an old episode. I'll be good to go. So here we go. Audio only podcast, audio only podcast. That's the goal. I'll make videos separately. The lift of an audio podcast feels good. I don't have to worry too much about how like how lighting is, what video I'm going to accompany it with, all that. It just gives me something that I enjoy doing, so I need to remember that. And that gets back to the ideas in this book. Feel good productivity. It's, it's in the title. If you can find things to feel good about the work that you're doing, find ways to make 
the work more joyful, then that leads to better work. You become more productive. And then as you're more productive, you free up time in your life that you can recharge with. Then that makes you feel more joyful because you're more joyful than you're more productive. It goes in that cycle. How I'm applying it, I just have a couple of lenses mainly that I try to read these like nonfiction books. And yeah, the lenses that I put them through, one of them is fitness. And then one of them is creating stuff online. So I've been trying to do shorts. I've lost momentum uh, since December. I had a lot, I think, in November and December. I have not picked it back up in 2024. So fitness, creativity, that intersection. I think there's actually quite a few people interested in that intersection who do both of those things, creators online, and then you want to be healthy. Everyone wants to be healthier. So I guess, yeah, that's the way I'm looking at it. So I'll just talk about that maybe for any of the examples here in Feel Good Productivity. I also started blogging about it. So actually, let me just start with those posts because that's stuff I've already written. And it would be dumb for me to not use this because I'm building up a slow outline. Here's what I wrote here. So I followed Ali Abdel's journey on YouTube for a few years now. While I'm not one of the earliest subscribers to his medical school to content, I was there watching his videos when he started to make content about the iPad. I was making content about using an iPad as well. And his content was much better and has continued to be much better. But it's been cool to see how he's evolved as a creator and now an entrepreneur and author. I've taken his courses. So I am not only a viewer, but also like one of his customers. And my main guidance, if you're a fan of him also, one of his, I think it's 5 million YouTube subscribers. If you're thinking about getting feel good productivity, This is some guidance. Yeah. If you want to learn more about his journey as a YouTuber, if you're excited to see that journey shared, you probably won't find it in this book. I don't know if that was a personal choice or from guidance from the publisher or an editor, but there seems to be more credibility in sharing stories from his life as a doctor and from scientific studies. So when I was reading, I kept hoping to hear more about his journey as a creator and his movement in and out of niches from medical school to being a doctor to tech to productivity to entrepreneurship to being an author through traditional publishing. But it got filtered out. It does become more just about, I was a doctor and now I have this business. He mentions making videos. He mentions, I think YouTube by name a few times, but it seems like that's the bulk of his journey. Like he has 5 million subscribers there. That's I would guess what people are interested in, but maybe not. I'm not, the, I'm not the expert here. So I'm still left hoping for that. What remains though is an excellent book about the cycle of joy that can lead to more productivity, that can lead to more joy if harnessed correctly. If anything, the single takeaway that I would have here is that, so this would be the first highlight. What would this look like if it were fun? I stuck the note up to my computer and went to sleep. So that's what he says. That's the end of the the highlight. Yeah, so that's what he says about this question. What would this look like if it were fun? It's somewhat related to the Tim Ferriss question of what would this look like if it were easy? I often like to pair questions together. So there's the other question of like essentialism of what's the one thing that makes everything else easier or unnecessary? Great, if you can get that down, now you can think, what would that look like if it were easy? And then one step beyond that, what would that one thing look like if it were fun? For me, I guess 
again, putting it through creativity and fitness. So the one thing for fitness would be, I guess it's work working at like lifting weights, but also, so what would that look like if it were fun? One of one way to do it is to just add friends to it. That always seems to work. If you can find ways to work out with friends or find ways to, yeah, get your movement in through sports, that's the most sustainable way other than the injury part, which is a big other than if you always had friends to play sports with, you'd work out every day. It's the whole thing of playing outside when you were a kid. You always had friends to go outside and play with, run around with. It was fun. You didn't have to think of it as adding movement to your day deliberately. The other part of that, I would say with uh, fitness, the most important thing, if I want to lose weight, is dialing in nutrition and what's the most important thing there. I guess it would be not eating, like eating healthy, or I guess like it's like avoiding junk food, avoiding overeating meals. So it's, and what would that look like if it were fun? In a sense, it's not like fun in the same way as a game, but fun's maybe not the right word to look at that. I guess you could figure out fun ways to make cooking fun, make cooking healthy meals fun, but it's more just what would it, look like if it were enjoyable it would be perfect macros but also tastes good i guess high protein tastes good and also it would be convenient these are the it's a question that helps to focus things and then with creativity what would it look like to create content what would this podcast look like that were fun the most fun time making content on the internet probably by far was recording the podcast with wally but it did take some coordination. Still, that was the most fun. But also just recording audio is the most fun as well. Right? Like recording audio, not worrying about video, as I mentioned, that makes things more fun. Okay, so yeah, that's the first highlight. Let's see, this next one, what I wrote here. So feel good fitness, personal case study, aka how I'm applying some of the tactics from the book. It is a book full of tactics. They're labeled as experiments to try. They're they have, yeah, like separate design for the call out and feeling good and being productive will vary from person to person. Some people try to maximize productivity and then put off feeling good forever. The best way to accomplish that awful outcome is to put the two at odds. So that's just like one of the main things in the book is to think that productivity is that, yeah, to be productive means that you can't feel good also, that it's all hard work. And hard work is the only way to be productive. But the, yeah, like the the spine of the book, just one of the main ideas is that aiming to feel good, aiming to have, to shift your work so that it energizes you is the best way to stay productive because you'll want to keep going, keep doing that. And one of the stories that he tells is just when he was building up his YouTube channel, and maybe this is more in interviews. I listened to a bunch of interviews with him when he was doing his different podcast interviews when he was doing the book launch. And he talked about why he was able to make videos and build up his channel on the side while he was a doctor. And it's because that work was more energizing, that making videos online, stakes were low because he already had a different career. And so just making videos was fun to him. It actually was fun to him and energizing. But then I think it got to a point where that became a little more serious and he wasn't being as energized, I think, by 
his work as a doctor. So that's where he had to just dedicate himself to one. And he picked uh, YouTube business, building an online business. And yeah, I've dabbled in bringing back to fitness. I've dabbled in many fitness programs. And of course, the program hopping is why I don't get results. They're just one of the reasons. But one philosophy I come back to is strong first. So kettlebell, I, they do other stuff like barbells and that sort of thing. But I think it is just rooted in their kettlebell certification. There's others as well, like RKC, Dragon Door, which I think are the same. But yeah, so I like their, like what they say about intensity, that most training sessions should leave you feeling good afterward. Now, this is directly opposite of some other approaches where the main goal is to obliterate yourself and be lying in a pool of sweat by the end. That said, that actually, like a way to reframe that, that is really fun for whatever reason when you're doing it with friends. It's the joy, or maybe not fun, but yeah, I guess it is. It's the, there's joy in doing that. If you do like group class with a community, with friends, you just find camaraderie in that shared struggle. So you actually can find joy in that pain, but if it's going to be, for me, I do a lot of like workouts home alone in the garage, this garage that I'm in right now, where yeah, that's sounds yeah, with the, the garage door flexing in and out. I do the workouts alone. I think it is, I think some people are able to find that joy in pushing super hard with every workout alone, going to that place and coming out of it. I don't think I, I can do that. That's the wrong, you know, I have the wrong, especially with that attitude. But if I want it to be this sustainable, consistent practice over the long haul, it's finding workouts that make me feel more energized. And at the same time, yeah. And something I've found right now is like this daily kettlebell workout that I'm tracking. I'm seeing like the numbers going up slowly, but also I don't feel, I don't feel like super beat up by the end of it. And I think I can be consistent with that. Let me get to some other highlights. Here's a highlight. He says, I often think of my life as containing a series of side quests. Every day as I sit down to work, I look at my calendar and to-do list and I ask myself, what's today's side quest going to be? Further, he writes, by adding a side quest to your day, you create space for curiosity, exploration, and playfulness and could discover something amazing and totally unexpected along the way. That's the end of the highlight. And the note I wrote here was Mario 3 side quests that a couple months ago I was reading a lot of Nintendo books. I was really just like interested in Nintendo history. And yeah, it reminded me, or like I learned in Mario 3, that was one of the first games in the first game in the Mario series where you had an overworld map where you could make decisions about what the next level you were going to, the next stage or, or level, yeah, level you were going to play was going to be. So you could skip skip some stages, skip some, maybe not the actual stages, but some of the like bonus bonus games you didn't have to go and play. And so something that he talks about is just, uh, Ali Abdal talks about is the importance of thinking of things as an adventure and thinking of it that way. Like, how can I make the day more interesting? Even if it is day to day, you're doing the same thing. Even if it, this adventure is happening behind your screen, like what can you do? And an example he gives is playing, is it the Harry Potter? It might be the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, but he plays like a music soundtrack in the background to at least add a little bit more to his day when he's doing some of the administrative tasks. I've seen a meme of, or just like one of those Instagram posts 
where people want to do like creative work full time, but also eventually you learn that there's no like full time creative job. Like the things often that make it possible to do it full time are admin work. Like there's just a lot of other work outside of the creative work that you have to do. Like I'll record this podcast, but I also need to just some of the things like post, write the notes for it, that sort of thing. There's just other tasks that you have to do and you can build a team to first some of that. But then at that point now you have to manage the team. You can only automate so much. Yeah, you can automate things so that you can focus on the creative tasks. There's different ways to focus on just like the creative work, but it doesn't just all that admin doesn't just disappear. And something from say like the kettlebell world, a saying that I've heard is you can do the same thing every day as long as you don't do the same thing every day. The idea being that you can keep, do the same movements, do the same, even like sets, but you need to find the way or find a way to make it different every day. So not necessarily like a full adventure that it has to be, but keeping track so that you can change the rep scheme, like the number of reps, the weight to continue to progress. And it's not going to be like, yes, as mentioned, not every day or trying to find workouts where it's mostly you walk away energized. Still, once a week, you probably do want to do a more intense workout. Uh, maybe not necessarily like where you can't walk the next day, but having some, a few high intensity days. It's not the majority of your workouts, but it's going to be um, some workouts through the week. All right. Another highlight from the books, Ollie ex- describes or Ollie describes his character in World of Warcraft. He says, I've always been Sephiroth. The tall, handsome blood elf warlock with the billowing purple robes and an army of demons at my command. So I'm guessing he's also a Final Fantasy fan. Though I don't remember. I, I don't, I've watched a lot of his videos, but I can't say I've watched every single one like minute by minute. So I don't remember him really mentioning being like a diehard Final Fantasy VII fan or if he just liked the name Sephiroth. He, he spells it a little different with, uh, S-E-P-H-A-R-O-T-H. Anyway. Video games show that we're willing to learn new and hard things for the sake of entertainment that oftentimes like people are willing to, people who wouldn't do their homework in school are totally willing to just grind in an RPG because they're more entertained by it because either there's story there or, uh, I don't know, just more motivation to build up their character. And I wrote a note here that I'm less willing to learn to play new games these days. I get frustrated. One, I, yeah, it just, it just makes me feel very old. But if I'm starting a new game, getting used to a new controller, so many buttons on these controllers these days, and I'll finally get used to it, then take a couple weeks off. And then when I come back to it, I feel like I need to just start back over to go through the tutorials again. It makes me sad because I used to be pretty good at games, but it's, I think I've kept that like identity in my head that I'm good at video games, but it's been decades really since I was actually like good at games. Games can be an escape. They can be sometimes more entertaining than the real world. Like the character in a virtual world might carry more prestige within those virtual walls than you might have in the real world. That said, you can also try to build an alter ego that you can use in the real world, whether that, and that can be just like the mindset that you bring to a place, like a location in time, back to the gym. When you walk in there, you can come in with a different mindset. This is something I heard on My First Million. So Sean Prairie is one of the hosts. And he points out, you don't have to be Goggins all the time. You just have to be Goggins for an hour a day. And he's referring to yeah, David Goggins, former Navy SEAL, uh, author of Can't Hurt Me, 
Just, uh, yeah, he runs a lot. I think he says he runs like, is it 12 miles every day? Like first thing in the morning, something like that. It might be even more. But yeah, marathon runner, ultra marathon, just known for, yeah, just having a very hard mindset. Joe Rogan says like a hard man, uncommon man amongst uncommon men. But you don't, like if you just want to be in shape, don't have to have that 24 hours a day. Just an hour. That's enough to get the movement required for a good physical shape. Then the kitchen becomes the hard part. And I brought it. Our devices are bringing our physical and digital worlds closer and closer together. The Vision Pro, another step towards that. So it's going to be easier and easier to create and hop into different alter egos. Maybe someday I'll be able to embody digital Goggins with his haters mixtape pumped directly into my brain. This next section, the next highlight here is about being sincere, not serious. What I wrote here is you can't make every part of work a game, but you can probably adjust some parts of your process to bring aspects of games into it. But even games aren't always fun depending on the mindset that you bring to it. Here's a highlight from Feel Good Productivity. He writes, the trick is simple. When you feel like your work is draining or overwhelming, Try asking yourself, how can I approach this with a little less seriousness and a little more sincerity? That's the end of the highlight. And what this brought to mind is poker. So poker with friends. Yeah, I, didn't, I never played very serious poker, but like a lot of people, when it was re- getting really popular on TV, I would play with my friends and we would just play all in, or not all in, Texas Hold'em. And then it would be like a 10 to $20 buy-in. And most of us were in college or just shortly after college. Yeah. Like, a few years out of college. So with a large enough group, the winner would get 150 to $200 and the rest don't feel that bad about losing. But I do remember like $20 buys. It's feeling a lot. Like I really need to think, needed to think about it. But yeah, it, it didn't ruin your weekend or anything like that. So with poker and in this idea of stakes versus, or like seriousness versus sincerity, this has to do with stakes. So high stakes takes the fun away that there's too much seriousness. If you're playing for your house, it will definitely be engaging. This is not to say like the game is no longer engaging. It will be even more engaging. And yeah, it will be great if you win. If you're playing for your house, presumably you also win your opponent's houses. You can turn those into rental properties. Awesome. But during it, it's not like fun is not exactly the right word. It will be intense, engaging, all these different words that you're going to pay attention to. But I don't know that fun is the right word. Even if you win, you're going to be drained at the end of it. On the other end of the spectrum, also not fun, is zero stakes. There's no sincerity. So there'd be times like when when poker was popular, you would think, oh, poker's fun to play. Let's play. And we don't have to... And then you try to get a group. They don't want to pay, do a buy-in. I wouldn't always like do a buy-in, so... At some point you decide, oh, it'll be fun to just play without money. The competition, like the, the bragging rights of winning, that's going to be enough. But removing the stakes removes the sincerity of it. Everyone just like, you don't, it's, it's hard to play poker the same way without stakes as you would make the same moves as you would with stakes, especially knowing everyone else doesn't really have stakes in it too, because then you start doing stupid stuff. Someone just goes all in when normally they wouldn't. Or you're doing, you decided to do this because another friend doesn't know how to play. So you're like, no, we'll just play for no money. 
it'll be fun and you can learn how to play. And it's, it's rarely ever fun because it's, yeah, there, there's no stakes involved. I, I'm guessing there's ways that people do this and it is fun, but I've had a hard time with that. In the same way with stakes and sincerity, you want to find the right balance in your own work because at either end of the spectrum, you can burn out. So if you're taking it too serious, then every day will be draining that you're going to yeah try to fill your day with work because it's the most important thing and there's no time to rest. On the other hand, if you're not taking it serious at all, it's probably because you're working without purpose. And then that's where it can be. You hear about people like burning out, even though they're cruising at work, they're just like completely disengaged from it. So that just, what would it be? Uh, what's it called when you're in a pool? So not floating in water, treading in water in your work, treading in your Treading in pointlessness, treading in like purposelessness that can also lead to burnout because easing up this energy, but you're not really going toward anything. And you also are like not near something to recharge, like near the edge of the pool to recharge. So you want to be at that right mix of sincerity. All right. I think I could do probably a couple more highlights and then. Maybe I'll have to do another episode because this was so fun to record. Actually, it was fun. I do. I really do just like genuinely enjoy sharing book notes. So I should probably lean into that more. The the book is filled with a lot of different like breakdowns of behavioral studies. One of the studies here is about these two groups. They're trying to write code and then it fails to execute. And one group gets a message that says, you have failed, please try again. The other group gets a slightly different message. You have failed. You've lost five points. You now have 195 points. Please try again. Everything else about the two groups was identical. And then further on, he writes, the first time I heard about this experiment, I was astonished purely because there was an arbitrarily or an arbitrary meaningless penalty of five points for failure at the puzzle. The 25,000 people in group two from all around the world made on average less than half the number of attempts at the puzzle than those in group one. That's the end of the highlight. And it's this idea that, again, it comes back to stakes, that now there are stakes for each mistake that you make. You're losing points and you can get to zero points, then you can can't attempt it anymore. On the other hand, the others were just encouraged to try again. And maybe that was the right amount in, in this particular case for people to experiment even more. So if the goal is to just get a lot of experiments out, then that's where it can be good to lower the stakes. Like lowering stakes increases people's likelihood to experiment. And maybe in that case, like swapping out poker for something like chess, that in chess, like that experimentation, even without stakes, if you're not in like, that can be really important is that you're trying stuff out without having, without it, I don't know, affecting your rating or something like that. That can be good. And that might be also like a way, I don't know, it's like I'm out of my depth and I like when I'm talking about poker, but I imagine that people will practice in lower stakes rooms so that they can experiment. Sometimes experimentation needs to stop. And as you get closer to say like a deadline, it becomes more important just to be able to move forward with a solution. But that's why it can be very good to lower the seriousness about some stuff. All right. Another highlight here. So he writes, if you're concerned that you're not qualified enough to teach someone else, it's worth remembering that the people we learn from best are often the ones who are just a step ahead and ahead of us in the journey. So anyone can become a teacher. You don't need to be a guru. You can just be a guide. 
that's the end of the highlight. I do always love that Ali Abdal used to joke about not wanting to become a productivity guru. And he is now pretty much a productivity guru in a good way. Like he's earned it. He's made all his content about it. He has thought about it pretty deeply and wrote a really great book about it. This is getting long. So I just want to end it here that, yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm not qualified enough, but I've just read ahead in this book and excellent book. I'll continue writing about it. Oh, I also wrote got active-recall.com. I finally moved the website there. So you can see my notes about this there. And for now, thanks for checking this out. I have, I, I didn't even get halfway through my highlights, so I'll do another episode on this. But again, thanks for checking this out.